0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Well, welcome to OPCC. I'm tired just listening to all that. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of fun. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 will continue unpacking our um, sort of our theme as we're studying, working our way through the book of Acts is how the kingdom moves, um, what it is, um, how it is moving in, in the hearts and lives of people. And so we'll just continue to unpack that today and, and talk about something that I think is, is, is pretty interesting as I looked at this text. I, I, have you ever felt like, what, what in the world is going on? Like, like, what am I, like, how did I find myself in this, this position? Um, I think it's easy uh, to to find yourself thinking thoughts like that, especially uh, post commitment to Jesus. Like you you sell out to Jesus and you say, "I'm all in, Lord," and then you start serving and and listening to the voice of the Lord and trying to do what He's asked you to do, and then things don't work out. Like you're like, "What is this? Like how? Why is this happening?" I think that's a like That's a very common thing um, for us to experience. I know it's certainly been very common for me um, in my journey with the Lord over the last 27 years is that man? Um, I mean I, sometimes I'm like, what? Like, this is not what I expected. And so that's, that's a common thing that can happen. Now, why is it that that happens? Well, I think the enemy, his tactic has always been, and it will always be, to silence the selected. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the selected. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So as we're chosen to be a part of the kingdom and we respond um, to uh, the the invitation the Lord has has given us, um, then the enemy will come against us and try to silence the advancement of the kingdom first and foremost in our own lives. So he will try to silence the advancement of the kingdom breaking out in you. And the reason he's trying to silence the kingdom moving in your life is because if he is effective at that then he will silence the kingdom moving beyond your life to those around you. So it's it's something that is 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 a like it's just a reality. I think even as we were going through worship I was sort of amazed by the how the Holy Spirit has woven a thread uh, in all the songs, even the things that that Corey said, <clears throat> you would almost think that we got together, and I said, okay, hey, I'm going to talk about this stuff, and I want you, you know, you can kind of talk about that. We don't do that, okay? Like, the Holy Spirit is just moving in the midst of it, and we heard him saying some of these things about passing through the threshold. And so sometimes when we do pass through the threshold and the kingdom breaks out, he's right. There are things we look at and we go, man, like, why, why is this happening? <laughs> you know, like, is the Lord really in this? And so the enemy is what he's doing is trying to silence the movement of the kingdom, and so that's where we sort of land with Saul today. So forgive me and offer me some grace. Should I call Saul Paul? Okay, because the Bible calls him Saul and the Bible calls him Paul, and I I tend to refer to him as Paul more than I do Saul. Same guy. Okay, um, just goes through a, a, a name change. They they begin calling him. The Apostle Paul, but at this point we meet him, and he is Saul. We know um, that he is uh, from, you know, like we learned last week, he he's he was on his way to becoming uh, the crème de la crème of the Pharisees. Man, like he was, he was on his way. His mission in life was to be successful and to become a member of the Sanhedrin, which would be something like our Supreme Court, um, but more. So people who made decisions and interpreted the law, but also led the people. And so that's how um, the government of, of Jerusalem was, the people of Jerusalem were really led by the Sanhedrin. That's why Jesus was taken before the Sanhedrin, and they led the people in making the decision that he was to be crucified, okay? So Paul was on his way to becoming one of those, um, uh, a member of that special group. And he's on his way as part of his mission. And again, just quick review. He's on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, people who have fled Jerusalem because persecution broke out when Stephen was executed for, for proclaiming that Jesus was uh, God. And so on his way uh, to fulfill his mission of arresting these Christians and taking them back to Jerusalem. Jesus shows up. And it is the it is not like a vision. The apostle Paul, one of the requirements to be an apostle is you had to be selected by Jesus. And so Jesus shows up in his resurrected form and he he chooses Saul and he tells him, you know, hey, go back to Jerusalem or go back to Damascus. Wait, wait and you'll be shown what to do and we worked through all of that last week and we know that he was blind and the lord uh sent ananias and told him man like the lord has chosen you you don't need to fear the lord's not going to punish you the lord has chosen you you have been selected to advance the kingdom in ways that you 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 have no idea and so we we sort of stopped the sermon right there last week when we were working through the story And so we pick up what happened. Well, we start in verse um, uh, 20 of chapter 9. Let's just read through it. So just imagine his life is totally shifted. So what does he do? It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's really important because Luke is telling us, man, this was the... This was the thing for the church is the, the, to um, teach and understand that Jesus is the Son of God. You often hear me say, well, I thought you said Jesus is God. Well, in Jewish culture, the Son is always equal to the Father. Jesus is God in the flesh. And all those um, who heard him, it said, were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And he's just, they're like, what in the world is going on? And so after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers and these would be people that he connected with, people that he, I suppose, led to the Lord his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. It was a walled city. And so they lowered him through an opening. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them with and uh, moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. It's not a good good deal for Saul here. Um, and when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in number, living and uh, numbers, and living in the fear of the Lord. Okay. So there are two things that go, there's something we can learn from that last verse there. One of the things that goes with numerical growth is that the people um, in the kingdom, when the kingdom is moving, they fear the Lord. They grow in their fear of the Lord. Now is that fear like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid the Lord's going to smack me down. No, it is a reverence. It is a respect. It is a holy fear of submission to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. And as that grows, which is exactly what we teach in discipleship, that is lordship, the Shema, as the lordship of Jesus grows in your life, the kingdom grows and numbers are added to it um, on a frequent basis. And so we look at this and we go, man, this is pretty incredible. Saul is going to the synagogues, he starts sharing in Damascus. The people are astonished. They're like, isn't this the guy who is trying to arrest people and and trying to take this Jesus movement and squash it? And he's getting stronger and stronger. He's baffling them. It comes to a head. They want to kill him. And uh, they're waiting at the gates looking and going, man, how can, like, just imagine this. (laughs) So it's easy to read through that and not think through, man, what would that have been like? You go to a city, your mission on the city is to go and arrest people. Now you've encountered Jesus. You start being obedient to Jesus, and now people are baffled by what's happening. A lot of people are fired up about it, and they come into the kingdom. You see the kingdom moving and breaking out in people's lives. It's breaking out in your life. You're excited that it's happening, but then there are some people who are coming against you, and they want to, they don't want to stop you. They want to kill you. Like, that's a, that's a big deal, right? And so then you're like, what am I going to do? You go into hiding. They're watching the city gates. There's only one way in and out of the gate. And they're, they're intentionally watching to see when Paul would leave. And they're going to seize him. And Paul is made aware of the plan. His, his, friends, uh, his new friends are made aware of the plan. And they, like, they put him in a basket. <laughs> that's a little odd. And they lower him over the wall. And then he's got to figure out, well, what am I going to do now? Now, it looks like, and I'm not going to take time to expound on this, but if you read the epistles, you you could put this together uh, later in Paul's writings. It looks like immediately he goes to Jerusalem. He doesn't. He goes to Arabia. And for three years, he's there in Arabia. Um, And then he wants to go to Jerusalem. So we're talking about a lengthy period of time for Paul. And then as he wants to go to Jerusalem and he, he, he goes... They're afraid of him. They don't want anything to do with him, Uh, the Christians. And then um, he's moving about somewhat, and they finally, uh, Barnabas vouches for him, and and the Christians take him in. We're talking about Peter, um, uh, you know, Peter, James, John, all the other guys, the leaders we think of of the early church. They're like, this is the dude who had our brother murdered, okay? So it would be the equivalent of, you know, uh, we got some movement going on, and and we see, uh, oh, like, like the Lord sends us Shay. Shay's at Baseball Chapel today, by the way. Um, but the Lord sends us Shay, and then he's getting movement, and then all of a sudden, um, some people come in and kill Shay because we're getting so much movement in the kingdom. Now, that's what the church was dealing with, and then the people, the person who was responsible for giving the thumbs up of killing Shay ends up starting to say, I'm now a Christian, and I want to come and be a part of OPCC. (laughs) It's like, what? That's what happened to the early churches. So Paul goes to them, and they're like, I don't know, man. I don't trust this guy. I think he's just coming in. He wants to see how we're doing things. He wants to see how he can work his way in. Well, Barnabas steps up to the plate and says, no, man, this, this guy has, he's not the same person that killed Stephen. He's a different person. And so they accept him in. And so he starts moving freely about in, in Jerusalem. And he starts teaching them about Jesus. And, and man, he's good at it. Like he knows, he knows the Lord. He knows the word. Um, he studied the Old Testament his entire life. Like, remember, he was on his way to being a Pharisee. He's a very religious and devout person. And so now he's going and he's talking to all those people that were like him. And he's so effective at debating them guess what they want to do? Kill him. <laughs> how do you deal with a problem like that? You just destroy it. And a, a lot of times you go, man, I can't imagine doing things like that in my life. Well, the truth of the matter is we don't. Like um, obviously in our culture, we have a, a sad state of, uh, of our society where there are a lot of people who do resort to that and they do kill one another. And we don't understand that. And we look at that and go, man, how could people do that? But honestly, um, though we may not take another's life physically, we do kill relationships all the time when the kingdom starts advancing around people. And we go, man, that's a little too much for me. I'm going to destroy that relationship because I don't know if I want that happening in my life. And so, so we, we, we need to think about that, like we can't be functioning that way if we really want to see the kingdom break out. And so anyway, the, the, the Grecian Jews, they want to kill him, and so the disciples were like, man, we got to get this dude out of here, or it's going to get really bad. So they send him down to Tarsus, which is where he is. He was from originally, and then finally the church has a, a season of peace. And so we look at this and we go, okay, what does this mean for us? I want to make a few observations very quickly um, and, and hopefully, it's as encouraging to you as it was to me. First of all, Saul began witnessing at once. When we're talking about silencing the selected, what we see in this, this um, account of Saul's life is he began witnessing at once. It's easy for the enemy to convince us that we must wait to mature before we start witnessing for the Lord. A lot of times people think, well, I can't start speaking about Jesus because I don't know anything. Like I remember, um, I remember it's not been too long ago. Uh, Rick uh, is here. He uh, met the Lord. I was had the the tremendous honor of leading him to his profession and faith just across the street at Fortune Walk. Rick, wave it, everybody. Yeah, walking with Rick and D Group. One of the things he would say, remember this, Jason. He's like, I don't know enough. Like I just, I just, I just became a Christian. Paul just became a Christian. Now, granted, he does know a lot about the Old Testament, but the thing that we must take away is he's not waiting to mature in Jesus before he starts sharing. Immediately, it says that he went and started sharing. It is the Greek word euthos, and immediately started sharing with others. And it says that he preached. Okay, this is the Greek word, uh, "caruso" and it means to proclaim with authority. So it doesn't mean like what I'm doing right now. I'm sure that in debates, he probably did some of this, and they would go back and forth, and hopefully it was a lot better than the democratic debates recently, right? Okay, we won't go there. (laughs) But but, uh, so he's debating, it was an engaging debate. And, and as they had that debate, he, he, was, he was frustrating them. But he also was just proclaiming to people he was encountering. He would go to places and he would start conversations. And that's probably where the debates came from. It's like, man, this guy, let's, let's put him up against our best thinkers. And as he did that, man, he was, he was proclaiming with authority what the Lord um, had done. And so here's the thing is we can get confused about this waiting thing because it is wise to wait before we are put in a formal ministry position. So maybe we would say, before you take on a leadership role in the church, yeah, maybe we should have a season of maturity to test and make sure that you are going to be faithful to the Lord. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about proclaiming Jesus, being a witness uh, of the Lord. And how do we do that? Um, There's no need to wait To tell our story because we are the experts of our story. Like nobody knows your story better than you. And so immediately Saul began witnessing, witnessing at once. And so what I would encourage you today, if you want to see the kingdom move, you got to look for those opportunities to be like get engaged with people about what about what Jesus has done in your life. Don't get engaged with people about proving that God exists. Don't get engaged with people about proving that God created the world. Like, you don't have to go to all of these philosophical things and these uh, different arguments and and, and engaging in deep apologetics. That's that's healthy, and you need to be able to do that. That's not what it means to be a witness. Just know your story and tell your story. Your story about what? About what Jesus has done in your life. And you say, well, I don't know if I have that story. Then you need to be thinking about that story. If you don't know that story, then you are not a born-again Christian. Like, that's just plain and simple. If, if you don't have a way to look at, go, this is how I have given my life to Jesus and when he's impacted me and what he's done in my life, and I know I am saved because Christ has done a work in me and my sins are covered by his sacrifice on the cross when he shed his blood for me. Like, that's, your sto- that's the story. We all should have the same story, but it'll look different. The Lord puts it in different packages. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago about the funnel. The Lord needs a lot of different funnels so that His word can flow in the kingdom to flow into others as we share our unique stories. That's the first observation. Here's the second observation 180 loving equals 180 living, okay? 180-degree loving equals 180-degree living. Saul blew the people away. They were astonished. What happened? And then it says that he grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews. How did this happen? Like, how did it happen? There was a 180. And what was a 180? 180 loving. He had a 180-degree shift in the way that he loved God. And, and, and how did he make that shift? He came to a 180-degree shift in comprehension of God's love for him. Like, he, had underst- he understood the Old Testament, God. And, and if you read the Old Testament without understanding the grace of the New Testament, the Old Testament looks very wrathful, and God appears to be very vengeful. And it, 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 it's almost like, man, he, he's harsh and, and legalistic. Okay? But once you understand and you go through the 180 of the New Testament, which is all about Jesus, then the God of the Old Testament no longer appears that way because you begin to see he's telling a story about what he will do in the New Testament when he shows up on the planet. So Paul's entire life is <clears throat> excuse me, is a religious person, he has incredible zeal and he is pursuing God with everything in but he has the wrong view of God's love. He has a view of a demanding God. He has a view of a distant God. He has a view of a God that um, we are to submit to, and that's how we earn favor with him is as we submit to him. But when he encounters Jesus on the road, (laughs) and Jesus tells him, you are totally jacked up, dude. Like you think you got it all right, but you are all wrong. And Paul knew he was because he was going to kill people who believed in the very divine being in all of his glory that is now standing before him and it says to him, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And so then he's left to go in three days of darkness to rethink all of his sin that he has committed against Christ and it shifts as the Lord sends a shepherd Ananias to come and minister to him. And Ananias says, your brother, you have been chosen of the Lord to go and share the gospel with the Gentiles. And so he's, he's like, man, you, that's why Paul refers to himself as the chief of sinners. You couldn't do any worse toward the Lord than Paul had done. And, and so when he thinks he's in relationship with God through religion, Jesus shows up on the scene and impacts him and he has a different view of God. So he shifts 180. He realizes God loves him in spite of himself and that there's nothing he could do to earn the favor of God. He's simply been selected. So now he's thinking about the love of God differently, and that immediately impacts his living. So if you want to start living for the Lord, you don't start working on the living before you start understanding the loving. Like Colossians teaches us that the gospel bears fruit as people come to an understanding of the uh, of its grace and 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 all of its truth. Like it it begins to bear fruit in our lives. We have to comprehend the love of Christ there and, and when we do, and when we understand the love the Lord has for us, then it will shift the love we have for the Lord, okay? So here, so 180 loving equals 180 living. Now, um, it says that he proved, as he grew more and more powerful, he baffled the Jews. How did he baffle them? By proving, and this is, the, this is a really cool word. It's um, sim, simbabazo. I guess is how you say it. I don't know. But what it means is, is the more, more important thing, is to put together in one's mind. So that's what Jesus did for Paul. He took everything that he thought he knew, and then he put it together in his mind, and he took on the mind of Christ. And that's what we're supposed to do, take on the mind of Christ. And then we put it together for other people. He was putting together the gospel for them. And that's what 180 Living does. You take your story, and you put together the gospel for other people. So Saul began to witness it once. 180 loving equals 180 living. A uh, third observation, when the enemy tries to silence you, the Lord will always cover you, okay? And, and so Saul was so effective that they wanted to kill him. He had to go into hiding. They were watching the gates. There's no way out. Some new followers hid him and lowered him through a hole in the wall in a basket. I just, can you imagine what's going through his mind when he's sitting in that basket? One is, I hope the rope don't break, right? Like, what am I going to do when I hit the ground? Where am I going? Where, Where does he go? What does he do? Um, And so it's probably a lot of anxiety and fear going on that he's having to work himself through. Probably the thought, man, I thank the Lord for these guys who are lowering me. What would I do if it were not for the Lord's people, my spiritual family, helping me out of this situation and getting me in this basket and getting me through the wall so that I can go figure out what to do before they what? Kill me. And so, like, here's the deal. I cannot tell you the number of times I've felt that way in my own life. Like, I felt like as I'm following the Lord that all of a sudden it's like, what am I going to do now? Like, how am I going to make it through this situation? And I don't know all of the answers. And so what I want you to see is that the Lord in these situations, when we surrender to him, sometimes we will find ourselves uh, in the midst of a dark basket being lowered over a wall, not knowing what the heck we're supposed to be doing next. Amen. You guys ever felt that way? Like I have, like it's just something like, ah, I don't, I don't know what to do next. But the Lord is in that, and we can see that he's in that with, with Paul. And so um, what am I going to do now? Here's, here's the encouraging word a Barnabas is coming. That's the last observation. A Barnabas is coming. Paul had no one to go to. He ends up in Arabia. He's doing some ministry there and he's probably getting to a point where he's like, man, I I need some help around me. The Lord is moving and I, I need to connect with these brothers. And he finally gets up the courage. And so he's wanting to go to Jerusalem. And I suppose he makes his journey and they don't want to have anything to do with him. And it's been years. They don't trust him. Don't like we can't take that guy in. And so it says, I love how it says this. It says, but Barnabas, like but Barnabas. So everybody else felt this way, but Barnabas. We know, learning a a few uh, weeks ago when we we were introduced to Barnabas, he he was, um, his his name they had nicknamed him, and his name meant the son of encouragement. And that's here's here's where he see it. he he comes into Saul's life and 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 I love a Barnabas moment. Barnabas moments are, are are awesome. And so, what does Barnabas do? He believes in Paul when no one else did. Nobody else did, believed in Paul, but. Barnabas did. He endorsed Paul as a leader before other leaders. He goes before the other leaders who have tremendous respect for him and he says, Listen, man, this guy is the real deal. He is a leader. The Lord has done a work in his life and he has done a work in all the areas that he's been in, and we need this brother in our camp. And then he empowered Paul before anyone else did. And it was the beginning of a relationship that these two would go out and plant churches all over in the Gentile region, okay? So Barnabas, uh, the Lord sent Barnabas just like he sent um, Ananias. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to have a little commercial break, okay, in the sermon. I'm calling this commercial break a millennial moment, okay? (laughs) And so the millennials um, in our culture, they really get a bad rap, okay? They... they the, uh, for for a lack like if you the the big joke is um, let's just be honest okay but the big joke amongst society is millennials are losers right they live in their parents basements they don't work they don't do blah 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 what are we going to do with this generation um, here so why why am I talking about this you're sitting there a millennial did the pastor just call me a loser <laughs> no. I didn't. I'm telling you what, the, there's a perception, there's a stereotype out there. And so why am I doing this? I, well, I was, I was up here at the Project uh, summer night, and we, we had lots of great people show up. But, man, we got some really great millennials in our church. Like, um, so, so I'm, I'm tempted to, to, to call some of you out, but I'm also afraid that I, I, would, I would overlook some. But, but maybe I will. Tori, just stand up. Michael, Jeffrey, stand up. We got it outside here. Brittany, stand up. I think Brittany may be downstairs. Where's my other millennials? Uh, Kevin, Corey, you guys, all of you guys in the back stand up. All right. These people, you guys, and if I missed anybody, forgive me, okay? I'm just trying to. You guys, you um, guys. I love you okay I'm incredibly proud of you I, I I watch you I'm watching you follow the Lord I'm watching you surrender in ways I'm watching the way you serve and I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that I think you are millennial rock stars okay I do yeah. and so so why why right now why right now in the, in, at this time in the sermon? Because I often feel like um, I look to you and I, you make me feel like in times of trouble you would lower me in a basket. And, and that, that's good, man. I want you to know that sometimes if you get discouraged, and, and the church is full of people like this, but I want to especially call you guys out today and encourage you and let you know that I feel that way about you. I'm proud of you. I love you, the church loves you, and all that we do out in the future, um, you're going to be a part of, and the Lord is just getting started with you. So you can sit down now. All right. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, The big idea (laughs) is, what I want us to see from all of this, is that storms are to be expected and calms are to be enjoyed. I love that Luke tells us that after all of this turbulent time, there was a season of peace for the church. It got stronger, it grew, and we, we see things moving in the midst of it. Garrett, sorry, bro. I should have had you stand too. Um, and so the, the, the thing is, is that the Lord always brings a calm after the storm. So if you're, if you're going through a turbulent time right now and you're asking yourself, man, what is, what is going on? It's okay. Like, it's not, you don't have to look at that and go, man, the Lord, the Lord is punishing me or the Lord doesn't care about me. It, it may just be that you're right in the midst of where you're supposed to be and the Lord is doing things that you can't see, just like he was doing things in Paul's life that he couldn't see. And he was using all of these circumstances. Like, he's in Damascus um, and he's and like, he can't minister there, so he leaves. And then he goes, it, he ends up finally in Jerusalem where he encounters somewhere between those two times, he encounters Barnabas and probably not in Damascus, he probably met him somewhere else. And that is like the strategic ministry partner that God used and the apostles later will see as the kingdom moves, they lay hands on, on Paul and Barnabas and they send them out with authority and and Paul and Barnabas literally, like literally flipped the world upside down with the truth of the gospel. And so it would have been very easy for Paul to say when he was coming down that wall in that basket, I'm done with this. It's too hard. Okay? And it's very easy for where you're at right now to think that same thing. But you need to be encouraged, man. Hold on. The Lord is at work in your life. He's moving in and around and through you in ways you can't see. And, and, and you go, man, how long will it be this way? It will be that way until the calm of the storm comes. And he always brings the calm after the storm. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.